sync ratios, the podcast where two white guys talk about anime and uh, <laughs> they never have women on. Oh, wait a second. Twist. It's a different thing. I'm Ben Collins. I'm Luke Piotrowski. And today we're very happy to have our very first guest. It's our friend, Lazy Valentini. What's up, guys? <laughs> How does it feel to be here? To be the first guest. I'm also the first white lady to be on this podcast. It's pretty tight. <laughs> <Right>. Baby steps. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're, we're getting real intersectional here. Let's you know, go. I mean, I, we, I, I figured I'd try that intro and see if you guys uh, wanted me to cut it or something, but... Uh, Nope. No, no cut. This it. is raw. Mm-hmm. The the only time we're allowed to cut anything out is if we don't know a famous Japanese film director. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we have to edit around. stammer a little bit. Pause, we stutter Google. and stammer. Yeah. Get back in. Yeah. yeah. The only time Luke and I've cut anything on the show is something that we were like both slightly embarrassed by. So um, we'll see if we can't. Oh, uh, man. No, do it raw. <laughs> wait, yeah. now we have to cut this. And now we're fine. We'll be okay. Secrets out. Um, so this is a slightly different yes. format to this episode. We are going to talk about episode 13 of the show. So this is episode 13 of our show as well. Um, and we'll get to that. Uh, I guess I'll sort of at the top here do our mm-hmm. little... It's called Angel Infiltration, a.k.a. Lilliputian Hitcher, which is a reference to Jonathan Swift's Gulliver's Travels. That's true, yeah. The city of Lilliput, where Gulliver washes up. If you've seen Army of Darkness... Remember when Bruce Campbell gets tied down by the tiny Bruce Campbells? Yes. Mm. That's that's also an allusion to Lilliput, where Gulliver's tied down by the tiny people. Because this yeah. is a tiny angel. But uh, mm-hmm. this script this time is by Mitsuo Iso, Akio Satsukawa, and Hideaki Anno. Ooh, it's a three for Yeah, that's the first oh, time I think because we have happened. three people on the show. And there are three parts of the computer that are the focus oh of this God. episode. Magi's look at the look at the synchronicity of this. Yeah. Tag yourself, I'm Casper. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh shit. Wait. Which one's which one's the uh, scientist? It's scientist, Balthus? mother, and woman. So you you Melchior and Balthazar. I'm the woman. You chose clearly. yeah. What do you want then? Oh shit. We have uh, mother. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm scientist. Ben's the scientist. Um, and the director this time is Tensai Okamura. So Just, we're going to talk about that, but yeah. before we talk about the show, uh, we can sort of, you know, since we have a guest, we we'll sort of talk to you, Lacey, about like your your history with Evangelion. Like, when did you see it for the first time? How did that happen? What were, you know, where were you at? We we spent <laughs> really self indulgent, you know, yeah. first episode discussing this for ourselves. So I did listen to that episode, <laughs> <laughs> and you were probably thinking, "I've got shit to say about that." It's interesting. So I actually saw Evangelion when I was either late nineteen or early twenty. Okay, I, it was when I was hanging out with you guys. Oh yeah, yeah. You um, did not watch it with us ever though i never watched it with you guys i watched it all on my own one Uh summer during college when i was back home in phoenix city alabama sounds like a good all alone while in college is is a good way to i feel like i remember that i feel like i remember hearing you yeah because yeah we it was that was what we we knew you at that point yeah 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 Yeah, it was so i think that same summer was also when i read all of sandman Oh, my God. So it was an intense, emotional summer. <laughs> yeah, and it was like all of Luke's favorite things that you were immersing yourself yeah, in. Yeah, it's like the, uh, we were newly friends, and I'm uh-huh. sure you guys were talking about this constantly, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I was so not clued in that I was like, well, time to go deep dive. Here we go. That's like the awesome person starter pack. Yeah, that's just, pretty good. It's all of Sandman and all Happy of Happy to Gillian. be here. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's funny. So sort of tangentially, while I've been rewatching these episodes... I've also been playing a video game called Night in the Woods. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this at all, but I both don't of know you it. would I love it. Okay. Um, what is it? Is it a, like a Steam game or what? It is an independent game that was, I think, released on Steam originally. It's now like on the PS4 platform, and I think okay. it's on the Switch platform. Oh, cool. Nice. So, both, so there's a promo for Night in the Woods. Okay. But, yeah. Um, it involves a woman going back home. She's literally 20 mm-hmm. from college <laughs> to hang out with all of her like hometown friends. And f- a weird thing, I was like, I'm pretty sure I wrote about this in my personal blog at this point that I was watching Evangelion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I decided to go download my ar- download my archives from Zanga and I have an entry about it and I didn't bring it and oh. I'm extremely sorry, Shit, but I can we're gonna send ha- it later. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, we can, we can like... Um, but it, it was like March of 2007, so I yeah. think I would have been a new 20, but I was also saying that I was watching End of Evangelion, so I must have watched it up until that point. That's so oh, 2007? Yeah. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. 
That would have been that was right after I graduated college. That's yeah. right when the rebuild movies started. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. So like I don't remember if I saw those then. I know I saw one of them at the Plaza Theater in Atlanta. Oh yeah. But I didn't watch any of the other ones that came after that. Anyway, yes. well, Evangelion came in at a really weird point in my life when it was <laughs> As like, it does. Yeah. I was trying to fit in in a brand new city and didn't know many people and <laughs> was hanging out with a bunch of dudes. Unfamiliar mm-hmm. ceiling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And also but also in that weird place of like I I think I had a retail job at that point. I was trying to feel what it felt like to like go back home and hang out with people that hadn't had the experience that mm-hmm. I had already had, like moving out of town because not many people do that where I'm from. Mm-hmm. Um, and just trying to understand. It's funny looking at it now. So I keep moving no, back yeah. and no, forth, no, no. but like looking at it now as an adult being, I'm 32 now um, and seeing how, where you align yourself. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which I think you guys talked about in the first it's episode. A, it's, it's been a big... Actually, that's something I meant to do, like to spring on you. And now, again, I'm, now I'm derailing it, but I wanted to spring on you with like, as soon as you started talking to ask this question because of everybody. Who are you? I, well, I, I was just going to ask if you just have to pick context-free uh, Ray, Asuka, or Misato. Who do you pick? Wait, I don't even get... Roots no. Not yet. Why? We'll get we'll get there. I just okay. want I just want the three. So I'll do twenty year old me first. Uh huh. Twenty year old me thought that. Well, Shinji, Asuka, and Ray were intolerable, but also <laughs> liked them. So it was almost like a Even self-loathing Ray? thing. Ray's well, intolerable. Well, hang on. It's because <laughs> Ray is almost like a paper human in personality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There was mm-hmm. nothing to identify with other than I think she's really cute. Mm-hmm. She's got cool hair mm-hmm. and <laughs> is devoid of emotion or personality. Like she literally mm-hmm. takes orders. And that seems so okay. far mm-hmm. at this point, that seems to be all you know about her. Mm-hmm. Um, Asuka was really interesting because she's actually she's a strong personality and in that being like there's a double-edged sword there Mm -hmm. like she can be an asshole but she also (laughs) knows exactly what she wants Mm -hmm. which is at that point in my life i did not know what i wanted it was like here i am in college i don't know how to exist i'm trying to make friends um and it's you know who you are but like you're still trying to find what where your interests actually lie. Like you're not a fully formed human yeah, at yeah. that point. Sure. Anyway, that's I liked Asuka for that reason. So I think aspirationally I was Asuka. Misato, I had no idea what like conceptually what that was like. I thought she was sort of sloppy, but it was also really mm-hmm. impressive while she was at work. So <laughs> mm-hmm, cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like I said, Ray, aesthetically interesting, but devoid of anything real and tangible for me to grab onto as a person. Okay. So I think at that point I would have gravitated uh-huh. toward Asuka. Okay. okay. And how do you, do you feel differently now? Uh, I knew you were going to open up to the whole show. I was just sort of springing on like for, for, for the, for the nerdy male watchers and you know, the, you, you put yourself in Shinji's shoes and you sort of like have these three female archetypes to sort of choose from of like which you respond to. Yeah. So I wanted to like gender neutrally every guest just yeah. throw that at them like immediately and see what they say. Yeah. But I, and I'm, a, and I'm more interested now hearing you talk in a, in a broader sense of like, you know, characters like Ritsuko and, you know, Gendo or whoever else, yeah. Toji. Toji. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Wait, we don't even get Toji yet, right? Oh, he's been here. Has he? Yeah, yeah. He shows oh, right, up right, right. yeah he's, early on. He's the high school friend. Yeah, yeah the yeah. tracksuit guy. I always screw up their names. Oh, Kawaru. Yes. Yeah, the name. The name. Oh, no, he's Luke, he's uh, he's waiting in the wings. Luke is better wow. at the names than I am, but it is a lot of uh, names. Kawaru. And yeah, you know. Some difficult to pronounce. I actually remember anything that's biblical way more readily than I remember the characters' names, which is hilarious. Which <laughs> you probably have a similar. Thing. Yeah, yeah, we talk about that because like because Luke wasn't really raised with religion, and so there's still some sort of exoticism there. But like to me, it's like you know, it's always been sort of funny, and it was like it was definitely intriguing early on, and I think it probably is what got me interested in it when I was a kid because I think I thought you know, we talked about this before, but like. Yeah, you know, there would be more of the religion stuff having like meaning, which I think it's For more just sure. like the uh-huh. use of it. It's it's not like it has a. I don't think there is a coded meaning to it, but yeah, especially if you grew up in the church, it, it you it's know, really interesting because if you start digging into some of it, it seems like he knew exactly what he was doing, and that it does map to like mm-hmm. a bit of Christian mysticism. But actually, now that I'm saying that, 
at 20 was also when I was grappling with, am I Christian or am I not mm-hmm. Christian? And yeah, I was going to ask where you, you were raised sort yeah, of yeah. with a Christian background. Oh my God. Yeah. Deep oh, okay. in it. Um, super Southern Baptist for the majority of my, well, literally my whole life. I've got a lot of pastors in my family. Um, yeah. Yeah. But Cause we all, this is like for the, the listeners, <laughs> we're all old friends all met in Georgia. Yeah. Uh, yeah. outside of Atlanta and Ben moved out to LA Ben and I you know, trying to do the screenwriting thing mm-hmm. for, for a, you know 10 years now and and Ben was able to move out early on and I was able to move out about three years ago and then Lacey you just moved out here I literally too. just moved at the end of January so that's that's why you're on the show was I said on Facebook that I was doing this show and you responded and then you're Dude, like oh time yeah. to do a rewatch and I was like <laughs> we'll do a rewatch and come be on the show yeah you know, I'm, so how, how lovely and serendipitous do you, you want to hear the trippiest there. thing that's like totally like too personal that Lacey and I already covered but I'm just gonna say it on the podcast it's funny. last time I saw Lacey in person was on the day of my wedding 10 years ago yep and uh in the, that time, I have gotten divorced. So it was like... It's probably the last time I saw you as well. Was Maybe. really? I don't know. I don't know, actually. No, well... I feel like I saw you one more time Well, because you came when I had kids. But when was that even? This is right... You had Roland right before that. Okay. Yeah, you already had Roland. Because you came to see baby Roland. I did come to see baby You probably came Roland. to see baby Oliver, maybe? I think so. Wow, that's weird to try and remember <laughs> that. It's it's funny because yeah. because I've been talking or re- playing that game as twenty year old me. Well, yeah, well I remember because like, like, you brought Roland a, a stuffed panda bear, which was a reference oh to Lost. God, that's right. <laughs> yes, I think his I gin totally is trying to find that. the panda bear. <laughs> so this is you know this is like uh, we're just catching up on air. Like this yeah, is a has, yeah, yeah. podcast bringing people together. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, watch this a lot. Uh, other stuff happened. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, it is indicative that like catching up with old friends for me is just like let's talk about Evangelion. Like, I mean, we get that's what we're here for. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's you know, podcasts bring people together. It's a it's a good thing. So we're taking a long way here, but like, yeah. so do do you have a favorite character of of everybody? Um, I think now I like. Misato the most? Yeah, Misato. This is a Misato it's, podcast. It's, I, and I'm, I, I think Misato it's champion. identify with her in so many ways. It's it's No, it's the weirdest. It, it's been Not that there's anything surprising about it, because I think that in some ways she's... It seems like she's the show's favorite character in some ways, too. But it, it like, re-watching it now with Luke, and we, it comes up, like, constantly on the show, but that, like, I didn't realize that she would be my favorite character. And, yeah. and it's like, oh, yeah, because it's, like... It is more like us. Like she would be our friend if I she was a am person. I'm interested you know. to see. You know, it's where we are right now. I, I am interested to see how how I respond to Asuka this time, uh, and I expect to be. I've always liked Asuka. I think she was maybe sort of you know third on my list when it comes to like the main pilots. Mm-hmm. But I think this time through, I'm going to like her you know more than i ever have i have a lot more sympathy for her i think it's interesting that you you had admiration for her at that age because i think that like you know in some ways like when you're young enough because like we've covered before i start i watched she's mean to shinji yeah like as as a dude when you're watching it you're sort of like 14 you feel like she's being mean to you yeah i was a kid when i first saw it i was 14 15 years old and so like it was like oh yeah oscar represented like the type of girl that would be mean to me, you know, kind yeah. of thing like that. It was just sort of like, just because she likes you, Ben. I wish I don't, you know. No, I mean, but like, <laughs> like at the time, you're sort of like intimidated by that, and I wonder, I do wonder how, you know, because like now that I'm an adult, I, th- I think of them as children, which is what they mm-hmm. are. Like the characters right. are so much more clearly children than because when you're that age, you don't think of yourself as that age. And now I just have, I have sympathy for kids because being a teenager fucking sucks, and it's like yeah. everybody's confused. Nobody really knows what they're doing. Like emotionally, you're all, you know it's a mess and so people act in different ways and it's so much easier to see through especially her sort of bravado and stuff and like we've talked about it before but like just being sympathetic to how much she's hiding an insecurity and stuff like that and i think you know yeah yeah and i do i I do i love everybody so i do love asuka as well i didn't mean that to you know i think an interesting thing watching it as an adult now is they like when the kids are fighting Mm-hmm. Um, when they're like having those moments where there's a lot of tension between them or when they go through a battle and then they're fighting about who did what afterward mm-hmm. and they're saying that they're <laughs> embarrassed. But then also like how Misato feels while she's watching them do it. Yeah. And 
I don't think I really even processed much of that when I was younger. Yeah. But now I'm looking at it and I'm like, holy fuck, how does she have two like middle to high schoolers hanging out her house all the time? <laughs> um, I could not do that. And she's technically, I think, four years younger than me. Yeah, in these yeah. episodes like it, you just start you feel things really differently between watches, especially mm-hmm. with the amount of time that I've had in between mine. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I definitely always gravitated towards the adult characters in a lot of things. Obviously, I was pretty old when Harry Potter came out, but I, I did sort of realize it the other day, and I, I even tweeted about it. It's like, all my favorite Harry Potter characters are teachers. Yeah. Oh God, you know? of course. Yeah. Well, you were a teacher for a long time as yeah. well, and so there's probably a natural a sympathy it, sure. to like, oh, yeah, I remember what that I was like. I just hated all my fucking students. Well, you were, like yeah, you were the Snape of the... Yeah, of course. <laughs> I mean, you know. Uh, yeah. So it is, but but even I like I remember they they made like a little shop of horrors like Saturday morning cartoon and they made Seymour into a kid and I was angry at that. It's like what? I don't need I don't need a child to be my surrogate. I can sympathize with, with yeah. the adults. And I remember not I tip, a lot of times not liking child protagonists and child heroes in shows even as a kid because mm-hmm. I felt sort of talked down to you know so i g- feel give like me a the... total dick for this but i used to for a long time i said children shouldn't be in film <laughs> <laughs> i just it's so hard to get things out of them but it's also hard to relate and mm-hmm. if it's a child in an adult thing then i actually am able to do it better now than i was when i was their age you know i don't like, feel that way now just to yeah, be clear yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but yeah it was something for a long time i just found super hard to relate to well, let me ask you this in terms of before we leave this behind, you know, so coming to this new place and sort of, you know, navigating early adulthood, you know, you're 20, is this such a weird, emotionally raw time? And then, you know, watching this, do you think that this show helped you or hurt you? Oh, my God. I think it helped me in so many ways, which is okay. kind of weird to say out loud. But uh-huh. Ben and I were sort of talking about this before you got here, Luke, but like, I've been through therapy as an adult a lot Mm. and I love it. And I think part of what got me there was watching Evangelion in a weird (laughs) tangential way. Uh Um, Just knowing that uh, Hideaki Anno was diagnosed as clinically depressed and then this beautiful art thing came out of it. I, it sort of spurred me to like know that it's okay to be an adult and admit that you need help and like, uh, mm-hmm. that famous people can also do this and then create something cool out of it. So, right. Yeah. That, that's, we've, yeah, I, I think I've talked about this on like, I, yeah, I have anxiety and, and like watching this now as an adult that is in therapy yeah. is like, Oh, like I, I don't think, I mean, I don't know if I, I don't know if I had like anxiety as a kid. I mean, I probably did, but like, again, it's just like not even having a language for that when you're watching it. And so like, especially like, you know, Shinji, like, I mean, you like you don't want to relate to him and you don't really it's like I don't know the, the relationship with that but now being able to see and understand all of it and like yeah therapy really gives you the language to appreciate this in a weird way it's yeah. a very there's a strange connection to it and it does like it, there's something really pleasing about yeah feeling confident and, and comfortable with that stuff and watching it as an adult and being able to appreciate because he's obviously Anna was obviously you know using this for something like there's Absolutely. there's so much it's of it's a vehicle you know. to explain a lot of that for him or to like maybe, maybe even like parse it out within himself to understand i think so i think so um yeah we, i was just talking just last night to another friend of ours who like maybe <laughs> well hi wesley um <laughs> is through through text and you know uh we were sort of, i don't want to put him on on the spot here but he was sort of talking about like getting ready to rewatch it again and and being you know having some trepidation of like i don't know if i can do this right now or if i should do this right now and being a little worried about what i was going to do to him you know emotionally where he is right now and it just got us talking about, you know, and me wondering about this show. And it's like, does this, and it, it's kind of funny to do this here in this like Michael Crichton episode, <laughs> like we're, we're, we're about to sort of get into the back half of the, We're almost halfway through. And it's really the back half where a lot of this, you know, stuff that we're talking about becomes more prevalent. But we were just asking the question of like, I asked him, do you think that it, broken people are attracted to evangelion or do you think that evangelion at the right time and place just breaks people (laughs) because i do think i don't know to some extent i I don't know like because i saw it at such a specific time and did it did it sort of give me permission to go to some of these dark places where maybe i wouldn't have 
if I hadn't watched this show at a vulnerable age. I'm also just, you know, because my kids are watching it, and so I'm like, you know, yeah, that's, God, what am I doing? You Have you heard about this? No, what? He's watching it with his kids, which is like... Who are... Ten, who are <laughs> Wait a minute. I How mean, we'll see. Now? He's, 10. Le- he's 10. He's about to okay. be 11. So, I mean, we'll see. That we've, we've slowed down a little <laughs> bit, so I don't know. But Woo. but. Are you gonna let him watch you end of Evangelion? I mean, yeah, we'll no spoilers, see. but yeah, we'll, so, we'll sort of see. But but yeah, I don't know. Like, it's a chicken egg sort of question. I think the answer is a little bit of both. Probably, That's like exactly it's sort of what like I was about to say. I think it's you're both. you're never really gonna scrub this away. Like, I'm never really gonna be you know done with it and it and it. Because it gets so philosophical and Freudian and stuff like that. I mean, every college paper I wrote was informed by stuff that comes from this show. Yeah, and like, every every, every screen like, every screenplay we've written is informed by some stuff from the show. I mean, yeah. it's, it's it, it's it does permeate and it does like. I mean, I so think- but if, like if if your th- if your thought patterns are sort of, you know because I talked about it sort of for me who didn't have religion and stuff like Sandman as well stuff that has like a, a spiritual quality to it sort of takes the place of, like, okay, this is a series of stories that sort of tell me how to live. I mean, we, we talked earlier on, I think, about Shinji looking at people and trying to, you know, see how do they live, how do you successfully live, and Ritsuko talking about Rei and Gendo being bad at living. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you sort of, religion can, can serve that role for people, and for me it was like, you know, fiction, but it had, kind of had to be fiction that was like this, that had this sort of spiritual quality to it. And, um, you know, that's, it's not a religion, (laughs) you know, it's not, it's not a healthy way to sort of necessarily view yourself in the world because it's talking about unhealthy people and how they view themselves. So if these become your heroes, you know, I just, you know, I'm not, (laughs) I'm not saying I don't wish, you know, I, this is my favorite piece of art, uh, narrative or otherwise, I think of all time. Here's, here's a little, so. I love it. I'm just sort of po- asking the question of like, is it is it dangerous? Okay, here's a mini, here's a little mini, and I don't think I've talked about this on the show. And it's something uh, people are like, "What? This is giant robots, dude!" Like, what do you? <laughs> if you haven't so seen the show before, that. you're like, "What?" Well, here, okay. So when you were talking about the depression and stuff, Lacey, I it clicked in my brain, and I don't know if I've said this out loud before or if I've thought it before. I don't think we've talked about it on the podcast, but it it made me think about Lars von Trier mm-hmm. <laughs> and and because I remember like like uh obviously you guys are familiar with his movies and I, like I've been a big fan of his for a long time and I uh watched I remember when I saw Antichrist which is you know maybe his most out there movie you know yeah, and it's painful and I it's like it's inexplicable it's fucked up it's disturbing it's you know it's just you're kind of like why am I even watching this and but it's it's, it's a well-made film it's entertaining and stuff and I remember after the fact hearing some interview or something with him where he someone asked him about like what was the deal with that movie and he was like oh that was like the result of like a really deep depression i was in and for some reason like that clicked for me when mm-hmm. i was like i was like because because it was the kind of movie that everybody was trying to pull pick apart and what does it mean what does the title mean why is it you know what's he trying to say right. what is it about and you know not unlike even even gally and it's like mm-hmm. a thing you know sort of sifting through the creator's intentions and stuff and that he I don't think in any interviews has I tried to explain the movie other than that it was a result of a depression or was how he was dealing with it or something like that. And for some reason that just clicked to me and I was like, well, that is what the movie is. It doesn't need an explanation of the content. It's something about this intangible quality of, you know, that's just what needed to come out. And when you're talking, Luke, about like, you know, people being drawn to Evangelion, like, is Uh it, you know, chicken or the egg kind of thing about this stuff? It now it connects that because Lars von Trier is also very difficult for some people. And I do, right. I would like to, at some point when it hits Netflix and we get more, I keep talking about this, like it's going to be a great sort of like a data collector for me where I can actually, where new people will watch it for the first time and I'll get to sort of see what people's reactions are. And I'm just very curious. I'm curious now about, I wonder what the overlap of Lars von Trier fans and Evangelion <laughs> fans is. Because, because it's like, I mean, hmm. the three of us are sitting here and we all respond to his movies and it doesn't mean they're easy or fun all the time, but it's like, there's a there's a respect there, and I I wonder, you know, like I've I mean he's made several movies that if you show it to somebody and they've never 
seen one before like the reaction of like oh that fucked me up like i don't know if i'll ever be able to forget that or it's like that changed me you know that, that kind of like does it ruin somebody emotionally to watch these things and again we're being extreme about that i don't think people are that like fragile really no. but like as far as inter- as far as entertainment can affect you well, in that way but, i th- mean these two the, things, the difference you know, is like lars von trier you know you, you fall in love with bjork and like dancer in the dark or something but by and large it, they exist as sort of confrontational and difficult movies, yes, and you're yes. you're there at the start. His the, intentions the thing are with different. Yes. Evangelion is that it has all the things that make you love something in, you know, in the, in the way you would love Harry Potter. And if Harry Potter ended the way that Evangelion is, you know, that starts to go to some of the places that it goes, it would be so much more upsetting because you, you're 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 watching it and consuming it like a like a fan. Like I love these characters. I love this world. Yes. And so it starts one way and ends another, and that's very different from something that starts one way and ends the same way. No, totally. Which he's Lars von Trier movies are sort of more, you know. It, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he's Lars von Trier has never tried to make a mainstream entertain piece of entertainment. I don't think in, in quite the same way. And you're right, it is. But I, but I, but right. this is mainstream like, mainstream entertainment that sort of has a, a Lilliputian hitcher uh, inside of it. Uh, there you go, corrupting. And it. that's how we come full circle. Yeah, what this yeah. episode is about. I was going to say, I think there's something interesting you just touched on with Lars von Trier versus Evangelion. And I know you've got your idea with it being akin to a Harry Potter esque universe where you have people you fall in love with, but it also has this thing where like there's this visceral, raw, really upsetting quality to it, and mm. both they both share that mm-hmm. thing, mm-hmm. like the machinery plus quite literally visceral aspect to it Mm -hmm. has bothered me for so (laughs) so long and there's something in the next episode that i can't wait to talk about Mm -hmm. that happens but we'll get there eventually but yeah the like quite literal body inside the machine makes me anxious to think about Mm -hmm. um and (laughs) disgust me to no end and also like i it's like i can feel it when i look at it but that's also how i feel when i watch a lot of lars von trier movies Mm -hmm. like Every single one of those words I just said, I could say the same thing about his work. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, you so get some good bodies in this episode too. The like the, the right. dummy bodies that they're like. Uh, we can start talking about the episode yeah, yeah. a little bit. Yeah. I think that that there's a there's a test going on with the pilots to get them to sync in a different way without the plug suits. They're they're in this thing called the the Pribno box, just sort of like this big aquarium lab in Central Dogma. Um, and we'll talk about the techno babble stuff. And we all commented on while watching this episode that this is the one that is the most techno babbly. Yeah, it's I mean, it's, you know, I'll, I'll give them props for we said, you know, and we'll keep talking about it probably, but that, that they did a good job of visually trying to direct this to be exciting, considering that it's mostly an episode about hacking. Uh-huh. You know, Classic which hack is, episode, which yeah. is like you know, hacking is one of those things that entertainment, like you know, TV and film and stuff, like failed to get right or get or make compelling. Well, it's for just decades and decades and decades. Cinematic, and decades until cinematic Mr. Robot. yeah, uh, thing imaginable. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and until Mister Robot, nobody really quite done it right. And I know there's gonna be like somebody that's like, oh, what about hackers? I'm like, fuck hackers, I don't care. Well, but that's not <laughs> hacking, <laughs> you know, like that's no. That's what so, is it? Prodigy music and yeah, it's a rollerblading movie. or it something. It happens yeah. to have yeah characters. There, um, yeah. But no, it is uh, just that, that that there are these bodies. So they sort of have these like dummy Ava bodies in this in the Pribnow box in the in the aquarium, and the the kids have to be naked because they're doing it without the suits. But you have all these like lovely shots of these sort of Clive Barker looking muscular torsos <laughs> twitching and shuddering, and connected to tubes. <laughs> connected to just tubes, no heads, just. Just tubes. It does make me think. Uh, I mean, this has probably become a feature of the show where every episode I name a different filmmaker that, if you were going to do live action, I know Luke. We already discussed <laughs> the the lack of necessity for a live action thing, but in his prime, David Cronenberg could have directed even. Oh uh, yeah, I could. There's definitely body horror ish. This is a really good episode for that kind of yeah. stuff. Uh, because we get this is the this is the Magi episode, so we get a lot about the Magi, and we get we find out the big secret of the Magi, which, <laughs> which is, is pretty amazing. Yeah, um, I mean, does anybody want to talk about that? About the the the, the notion that it's like effectively Ritsko's mom's brain. <laughs> is yeah, that, if I well, you, you, you like understand, so you have all the details that you can sort of break down more because like. This is this is an episode that like my eyes sort of you know gloss over glaze over at certain points when they're talking, but that stuff is really 
the most important thing in the episode, I think. It's super important. The idea that there's this personality transplant OS stuff, operating system, where, where a seventh generation computer can have, this is all, you know, Evangelion future tech stuff, but that you could basically implant the thought patterns of, you know, a, a, a personality onto the operating system. And that's what the Avas use, Misato casually mm-hmm. throws out yeah, there. Yeah, just in a little half sentence that happens when mm-hmm. we're talking. Something that I think is really interesting about that is she specifically mentions that she keeps, like, not human error, but, like, humanistic qualities in it. Right. So that leaves room for for actual errors to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and really strange that that's what they decided to put into giant <laughs> moving humanoid body things oh, that sure. are here to destroy uh, the things that are threatening the entire earth. Yeah, because at least the Magi have like a three-tiered thing, and that, that's what we were sort of talking yeah. about at the yeah, top of the episode. Was, check. was that you have uh, Balthazar, which is her as a mother, mm-hmm. Melchior, which is her as a scientist, and then Casper, which is her as a woman. So three aspects of Ritsuka's mother's Naoko is her name, mm-hmm. her personality, that yeah act to sort of keep one another in check and but just the fact that and and i was a little unclear that this most of the time until i read the manga i didn't really understand the layout of like the headquarters here of like the the command center but it's like a three-tiered thing where there's like this big tall thing and at the very top is gendo and fudski they hang out up there Mm -hmm. and then there's like this middle platform where misato and everybody and the and the three operators hang out and then on the bottom there's like these three boxes, and those are the Magi. Oh, okay. The Magi are in that. the room with them. And they're like, so like you'll see these like far away shots, like these sort of like three big shoe boxes with like diagonal oh, lines yeah, on yeah, them. Yeah. Those are each of the three Magi. So they're like these giant computers, and like they raise it up at one point, and you can mm-hmm. see all the talk about pipes and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it looks like a brain. And I love that we have Ritsuko basically like crawl into her mother's brain. That's yeah, no, what it's that real. Is. The like. Oh my god, yeah, the noodle of pipes. It's like Yes. Okay. It's like when you'd open up like your desktop computer like to put in like a new graphics card or whatever right. and you like take the the housing off and you've got all that shit in there. Yeah. It's like it, these computers are so big that you can actually you have to crawl inside. Yeah, but it's also like totally like a birth canal like Freudian. She's like crawling inside of her mother again. Yeah, like, she's like inside her head. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. And then opens up the thing and you can see what is a synthetic brain because mm-hmm. like these these I can't remember what they call them like some sort of like or, organic computers. It was a seventh generation something computer. Um, but it, you sort of got the suggestion that that these are you know operating computers that are sort of modeled after you know, human anatomy. Is so that it's, not, it's not her actual brain. Okay, thank you for there. clarifying that because I, when she cracks it open, she I looked three. at it. Yeah, it, that was that was my question. I wasn't sure. That's really bizarre. Ooh, Why she's got those little that? jacks to like plug in. Well, but that's what it looks like when people are having brain surgery. Yeah, and oh, trying yeah. to activate other nerve Yeah, centers. they put it's the things the in. Yeah, yeah. Boop. Well, this yeah. is. I mean, I'm trying. To, I wonder. I mean, well, this is again. We need to keep a list of everything we talk about that we need to check back on. But I'm, like, I wonder where that is. That like a William Gibson thing, or like a. It seems like mm. like the notion of like the sort of biotech. It's like, very cyberpunky for sure. Yeah, and I don't yeah. know if I, specifically he first thought of that, or like I'm trying to think. You know, that's probably somewhere is, in that. This is a very hard sci-fi episode. I mean, I joked earlier that it it, it felt to me like a Michael Crichton, like an early Michael Crichton novel. Yeah. You know, and it and it kind of just highlighted stuff that's already been strain, there. Yeah. But it feels yeah, drama to straining, which maybe you mentioned earlier, but it came up I think on another because we have nano machines too, which is yeah. a pretty early. You know, I didn't know a lot about nano machines in 1995. You know, no, now no. it's pretty commonplace. I, like everybody knows it. I used to. Are. I mean, I think I first really learned about nano machines from uh, the Grant Morrison X Men comics. I think oh, okay. I used to have nightmares about them. Like the gray, I, the gray goo. Yeah, it was just it's just the concept of it really freaked me out. And it's funny because I didn't I didn't even I mean I'd already seen Evangelion probably like five times when I read those comics, and that never registered for me. Mm-hmm. Like the notion of huh. like it just didn't I didn't connect it to anything outside of Evangelion world. I guess it just didn't like carry into the real world. But like I guess because around the time that the Grant Morrison X when I was reading those, I think that was when there was a lot of nanotechnology stuff in the news, and it was sort of like oh no, this mm-hmm. isn't just something someone made up. Like this is a real thing. Like love the Grant Morrison X Men stuff. But yeah, but so I mean, this but it's is... not a machine. It is an angel, and this angel is uh, Yurul or Yurul, um, which is the angel of terror. I I couldn't find a whole lot about this one online, so I don't know how you know pre-existing this this name and entity are. I couldn't find a name for it, so I'm glad that you had that. Yes. 
So there's different spellings. There's there's one that's uh, Y R O U L Yule, and then I've also seen more commonly I R E U L. That one seems to fall more in line with the naming conventions for the rest of the. It does. Yeah. 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 So yeah, it's it's kind of like a. <laughs> this is all the really confusing, but there's there's something just what you were talking about earlier, Lacey, like sort of the bioorganic like weirdness of it. They keep talking about the 87th protein wall. Yeah, yeah. what it, is that? It, it yeah, is. yeah, yeah. There's there's whole chunks of dialogue in this episode that are just none of it seems to have any reality. And when you commented while we were watching it, Lacey, that like like how much of this like because it's I I talk about it a lot that like I'm very impressed on this watch it how it how much it seems like this stuff works like it seems like they did design the concepts to at least appear very specifically like they could actually function like the there density is a of information it. sells it like I, th- I think to some extent being overloaded with information is easier to swallow and let you go along with it than if it was something very simple then you start poking holes in it like this yeah. feels like you're actually in the you know uh, fucking you know nasa yeah. When something's going yeah. wrong and everybody's talking about things, you know, you just you okay. I understand. There's a problem. There's a there's a thing that's infecting. And we mm-hmm. gotta get rid Definitely, of Definitely, the there's a lot of red flashing on this screen. So <laughs> yeah. this, is, this is the red flash. A lot, flash a lot of switches and typing and yeah, there's tons of displays in this. I mean, it's a it's a cool like from an animation perspective and from an editing perspective, especially. I, I found myself really admiring the editing because there's just so much. Div- you know, just covering different people's reactions to things, screens, and it's like you—it is a bit like a magic trick. And I, I would, like, I always compare uh, uh, the movie Primer is like one of the ones that I talk about a lot. Have you ever seen that? I've never seen Primer. Is it? It's a super low budget uh, time travel movie, but it's like the guys, mm-hmm. the characters are all like engineers of some sort, and so it—it's it, it, like they talk about time travel the way engineers would actually talk about it. I think so, I actually started this movie now that you're describing it. It's very it. <laughs> it's very dense and it seems very boring, but it, it it is a rewarding thing when you watch the whole thing and sort of think about it. But it's like the same it's it's you're pulling off a magic trick by convincing everybody that they can follow just enough to be engaged but like luke's saying not have enough to sort of pick apart whether or not it makes sense yeah you, you know? don't know enough this is another system that you didn't design and yeah. it's also technology that doesn't even fucking exist yeah. so right. how would you know and yeah. characters like misato doesn't understand what's going on either. Right. <laughs> like, so you're sort of with like all right you just have to trust Ritsuko. that ritsuko knows what's up here this Which, is really ritsuko's episode yeah, yeah it's kind of i like that um, I'm not sure how much beyond this we get into Ritsuko's life. Um, I can't remember, we honestly. Some. We get a glimpse into uh, Naoko's life for sure. In that, Do we? Okay. It, well, some... inside the brain, there's scrawled on, there's like the little note cards that Maya's like, oh, look at all these note cards. And then you see Ikari, you jerk, is like scribbled in black. Right. That was what got the... me. It was like, okay, so for a brief yeah. moment in time, we see that someone wrote that. And I don't know if it was her or if it was her mother because I don't, I'm mm-hmm. not sure if Naoko was a contemporary of Gendo. Well, they say that her, uh, she was. She and was. We'll, we'll okay. find a little bit more about her but like that the, the, the notes written there yeah yeah are all her. yeah there there are definite definite payoffs like like this 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 episode back when i when luke and i watched it you know many many years ago this was oftentimes the episode that we sort of like kind of oh great like the ritzko episode like it wasn't <laughs> it doesn't seem that important but but there are uh, emotional setups and payoffs that are absolutely things that are set up in this that pay off later There's on the it's cool. yeah. yeah um i enjoy it because so far in the series you haven't gotten to see much of Ritsuko's interior life mm-hmm. I think the most there was a moment and I'm, I'm sure you guys missed it because I feel like everyone missed this but whenever <laughs> um Misato has been promoted and she and um, Kaji Kaji show yeah. up she's not wearing lipstick and mm. that's the smallest mm-hmm. thing that someone would notice on her but this is her dressing down uh-huh. like this is how she dresses uh... up for work well, she was making out with Kaji in the car. Or maybe, but I don't believe that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it just, it was a, an interesting small note no, for them that's, to do that. That's and then, good. okay, cool. We're getting a little bit more of her. I'm not sure how much more we're going to get, how much more of her we're going to get. But she's just like, she's the straight man to Masato in mm-hmm. every situation. So I always want to know more about her because like I said earlier, now that I'm an adult, I feel like I'm somewhere in between the two of them. Oh, right. And I want to know more about her life. Like, someone go make a, a lot of fan fiction about Ritsuko, please. I bet there is. There I'm sure there's is. tons, actually. She, it is, it is, she's kind of the least represented in terms of, like, fan 
that I that I've encountered, you know, <laughs> fan art and things. And I know, I've I've she's always you know I, when I watched this the first time I like fucking hated her. <laughs> like it's just from her design, like that she's she looks like Muriel Hemingway or something. Like there's something like off putting about her appearance and. She just uh, seems very harsh. And also, I yeah. think... Well, there's less fan stuff because, because like, Otaku can't, like, fetishize her That's as much. exactly right. yeah, 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 yeah. what exactly. I was about to say. You know? She l- looks... Yeah. She doesn't look like the archetype. Well, and if, this, she, was, if she was watch. a touch more stern... That would be the fetishization, You're right? If she, yeah. if they, pl- if they played her as like the sort of taskmaster that like was like scolding everybody all the time, then it would be the sort of like you know almost like dom kind of like thing would be what people went with it. Yeah. But they don't. But, they, but she's presented as more of a complete person than anyone else is yeah. in a right. way. She's she has an interior life that we don't get to know about. She's emotionally mature. She like is good at her job. She doesn't get emotionally like freaked out by things. She's if not we're like, playing fuck Mary you know. kill. She's married. Yeah, and oh, yeah. No yeah. one wants to acknowledge. Yeah, that. she's she's the closest to like a healthy, normal person <laughs> in some ways. I, well, <laughs> in some ways, everybody's fucked up in Evangelion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I, on this watch, I am more sympathetic to her than I've ever been. I do appreciate her as a character, and I appreciate her as a character that is not necessarily like for me in a show that's sort of built on characters that are like, here you go, otaku. Like here's yeah, something here's designed for service. you, and she feels like, like you said, like a real person, and that, so like just like sad teachers that i had that i just couldn't quite understand like like uh, femininity as this like sort of distant shore that i will never really be able to like comprehend or explore um in an interesting way something that you guys said earlier and now that we're talking about it i'm realizing kind of makes sense we were all talking about how much we love masato and i think the part of that reason is because we see more of her interior life than anyone else on the show. Like, we're literally yeah, in her home. We see point. her getting ready for a good work. Point. We get her backstory. We see how she interacts with everyone. So we see both... You, you get Shenji's view of her. You get the... Mm-hmm. Here's what she's like at home when she's sloppy and gross and drinking beer in the morning. And then we also get her, like, extremely professional side who is getting shit done in her workplace. Yeah, if we saw what Gendo was doing at home, maybe we'd all like Gendo maybe a lot we'd more. like him, but <laughs> I, oh, yeah, I kind of don't think so. When they said he doesn't know how to live or like be a normal ass what human. Does, what does Gendo... What's what's on Gendo's nightstand? I bet, I bet I Gendo's... I think literally nothing. No, I bet it's, it's he, a I bet giant room, in, like in his a office. White, like like a, it's just a giant... Yeah, it's probably it's like it's like um it's probably a like, like a like a hotel room or something you know like it like it looks like it's clean white sterile you know like just I don't precision. even know if it's that clean I don't yeah. even f- I don't feel like this person cleans up after themselves I feel like this is like when there's that famous quote that Steve Jobs had when he moved into his first apartment and how he literally lived on a mattress with no art on the walls for a oh, long time Oh sure yeah like that kind that's of how thing. I yeah. feel like it's like Ray's was. house like just, yeah it's because you're just like you're only thinking about work so you don't have an interior life mm-hmm. you your work is your life and i think that's how he operates i always like uh one of my this is a weird reference but i i, I always like to make jokes uh, about ryan gosling's character from drive in his apartment mm-hmm. is like 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 when someone's like a workaholic like that's one of the best representations of it is it's just like this empty little space and he's got he's got his table but it just has like a some sort of like a car engine piece on it, and there's just like one scene <laughs> where he's sitting in silence, like like doing and just like working on an engine, and then he like sets a screwdriver down and like turns the light off, and it's like, oh yeah, I'm done with this thing, time to sleep, and it's just like there's no there's nothing, and it's like Gendo's probably something. Pretty you don't similar. think Gendo builds like ships and bottles or something? Like, I he's don't got, think this he's man got has some little hobby. hobbies. He's like got he's got a collection of like Gundam models that he's put together. Ships and bottles is the closest thing I can think of. (laughs) Maybe like a long time ago that man had hobbies, but I don't think he has them now. Yeah, we're just reading like technical manuals or like you know it's like something like what there's some work thing that's like lightly entertaining for him, but is still technically work. You know, like you know something like that. Before we leave the protein wall behind, (laughs) (laughs) or circling back around to the protein wall. My my Evangelion Chronicle describes it as the protein wall is an organic material that is used in the construction of special test facilities and water purification pipes. The 87th protein wall was situated directly above the Pribnote box. And that's what gets infected with the angel. And they do make a point of Fiutsuki says that this stuff was built after the angels started to appear. 
So it was sort of on there, and that's how this particular angel infiltrated their facility. Saying it's the 87th protein wall implies that there have been There's predecessors. 80, 86 this. more. So what they do? Yeah, I think they, they might be like a, a, a series of walls. You know, <laughs> sort of like we see it like when when the Romulan is drilling down, and you have like sort mm-hmm. of the barriers. I think because it goes very deep. So I think that there's a lot of these protein walls, like uh, you know, surrounding or or protecting the labs or something. Okay, but it's an interesting concept. Yeah, just the fact that it, you know, that that it is organic in some this ways. This is one of my favorite gross. lines that happens. Is getting older the only thing I'm going to do? <laughs> yeah, see, R- yeah, Ritzko, Ritzko. you know, she's just like mm-hmm. the rest of us. She is. It resonated with me to uh, an alarming degree the first time I watched this. <laughs> uh, so I've watched this twice in the past two days. Oh, Maybe okay. now so I'm you, watching it for you the watched third or fourth no, okay. time. Um, but I watched it last night and I was like, oh, that I feel triggered right now. Yeah. <laughs> you can't say that. Because like, when you're 32 and I don't know, how old are they supposed to be? I know Masato's 28. I assume they're I around think the she's same 30. Age. Yeah, yeah she's 30. a little, yeah. yeah. And then sure. she, I think at some point, also says she doesn't want to be a mother. She's never going to be a mother. Yeah. yeah. This is kind of what she's got. It's just, it's... So she's like a Gendo that doesn't want to be a Gendo, necessarily. Right. right. She's definitely got a lot of, like, there's a lot of cat stuff. Like, she's got that little, like, ceramic cat by her, like, ashtray, mm-hmm, I think. Mm-hmm. And then she's on the phone at one point. I don't know if it's happened yet, but talking to her mother or somebody about a cat that just passed away. Oh, I get the sense that... She's oh we're right yeah she's a grandmother she's or something. Let me give to the mom magi. a call. Um, um, I, I just think there's something cure. Well, this is also part of why I want to know more about her as a person. Although I think I'm never going to get it, but like as as a woman, like as soon as you start reaching thirty and beyond, you have to start wondering: Is this all I'm going to do? Especially if like you've ever thought about having children, because mm-hmm. you start getting that mm-hmm. like unfortunate time clock that you've got right in front of you. And I'm so yeah curious about if that if she resigned herself to not being a mother because she thinks she's only going to do this forever and she'll never want to bear children, or she's so dedicated to this she will never date someone, or if they're just living in an environment that isn't conducive to actually wanting to bear children. Yeah. Well, here's the thing that we haven't brought up yet that I keep meaning to, and I don't know how explicit they make this in the show, but it is a part of the universe that fewer and fewer children are being born post-Second Impact. So it is a little bit of a children of men situation so how likely is it that she even could or would have children like but it's, is that due to environmental factors or is it because of social factors that's true and i and i wonder when because we know J- japan's population is decreasing and right. it's sort of a, a crisis right now i don't know back in 1995 if that was a thing but that's just you know sociologically people are less concerned with doing that it's yeah not I, I thing to do and it's kind of uh yeah it, yeah, I don't dangerous. Know yeah, I, I don't know. I because the first time I heard about the the population decrease in Japan, I want to say it was probably like early two thousand. Yeah, I think it was a later thing. Yeah, yeah. I should look into that. Add that to the list. When did Hikikomori become a thing? I mean, that's. I would assume I that's think a little bit later. Yeah, I think more like later nineties, but th- maybe that's just when I was hearing about it. I mean, because it, it's it's the it. the population decreases as it was explained to me when I first heard about it, and I think there's a lot of factors. Um, but it was also just people's like jobs and stuff like that. It's like yeah. where people, if two professional people that are married, it's like, well, you're going to have one kid so that, it, but then you want to get back to your career mm-hmm. kind of thing. And so it's like, if you just, it's like pure math. If every two people has one kid, the, the, it's not going to sustain an evil, even thing. Looks so it's like, like we're you know. in decline. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And that's probably, it's, I'm sure that that's a trend that's probably, I spread think to other places. I think exactly it's, what I I think it's happening say. here, probably. I think it is. Um, I do think it's interesting that this is Naoko, you know, she's obviously not around, you know, in a, other than it, through the Magi, but that this is our mother-daughter relationship, that we have a lot of, like, we have tons of father-son stuff with Shinji, and I think Ritsuka's feelings, you know, she gets pretty explicit, like, I think I even hated her, uh, her feelings towards her mother. Um yeah, I guess it is the only because there's some. Oscar the talks about her mom a little bit. It hasn't, it hasn't and we'll changed. we'll learn some more. Yeah, but the idea is, I mean, you've you know, you've picked up on the pattern recognition here is like, yeah, the, there's absentee mothers for all of the pilots. That um, was a prevalent thing, not only in media in Japan but in America at that point. A lot of mothers huh. were dead in, in yeah. 
Yeah. Well, a lot of I mean a lot of Disney movies. Yeah. Well, I mean, young, yeah, like yeah, like young adult fiction before they had it, what before we called it YA or whatever. That was like always there's some there's a series of essays that or a bunch of different people have written about that that like how much kids seem to like or connect with characters that lose that their are parents. Orphaned. Yeah, they're and it's like. It's something, you know, sort of well, like a just, weird desire that you have as a kid. It's like running away from home and stuff like that. It's like a weird kind of, I don't know, like, but it was like, it was like, you know, like the box. It's also just children, a, a like, helpful narrative if you have children characters because it forces them to answer the call to adventure. Right, if you, yeah, if you have home, you, you kind of have to be forced out. So either the parents are abusive or bad in some way or are taken off the board that kind of force you to take the steps of you know, mm-hmm. being part of the narrative it, it doesn't work if you have a, you know two loving parents at oh, home yeah. to like go well, and <laughs> risk your life to you know pull Mom's the sword from the stone curtain, or whatever can't go adventuring i mean um, this is tangential but uh, and i don't think we've talked about this before on the thing luke but we've we have like a funny pattern in our own writing that like we almost never have both parents in the in movies we always we talked about well movies. this is flat out economical it, yeah exactly yeah it's, it's like it's like there's always like it's like a, a single mom or a single dad or because it's just like well yeah two parents they're you're gonna spend so much more time uh personifying both now that's of them two giving, characters yeah. so it's like oh they have to be distinct and there's like well listen the parents aren't part of the story so you know a huge part of the story so you want that screen time yeah. to have maximum impact. It's like, we'll make them one character. Yeah. So that they do they that can. a lot. But just the, the whole thing, I remember seeing fan art or maybe it was official art, but you know, just watching the show for the first time, consuming it. It's so dense and I'm not picking up everything, but seeing this image of Ray in her plug suit. And then it said in like red text, like on the, it said motherless children and like and the, the the phrase motherless children and just applying it to these sort of sad kids was always something that was really haunting to me and is i think a really interesting aspect of of this well it's just and it's I, I, there's just so much of this that like motherless children it's, that it's, was i will recommended that as a name for the podcast oh yeah wow. that, yeah that would have been pretty good actually every single person in this show outside of shinji doesn't have parents that we know of mhm yeah, That's it's a, weird... a weird realization to have. Well, it's it's but it's it's what what I like what I love about that though is it's just another one of the elements of the show that, I, and I I talk a lot on here in terms of like comparing the narrative approach that that Anno and his team you know use here to the narrative approach that would be common in like American or British TV or something like that, and that like I feel like if you were doing this, like. If, if you were doing this in America, like, you, you would foreground that so much at the beginning. It would be right. such part of the selling point. Like, part of the thing was, like, these, you know, teenagers that are all, all orphans, all have to, whatever. Like, you'd sort of make that such a, a feature of it. And I like that, like, you sort of slowly kind of like, come to the realization of what some of, like, that you connected as you go and stuff. Well, that's what makes that's this cool. show so, again, I talk about uh, things, you know, some, some of my, f- about Evangelion means something I'm never going to entirely be done with. Is is that it does things like that with with the light touch so that there's on a second you might not even really think about that until you watch it the second time or third time like because they don't foreground everything Mm -hmm. because everything that's important isn't really made a huge meal out of yeah yeah you could sort of and and some some ways it's sort of like we shouldn't even be doing this podcast because like if you're gonna watch the show (laughs) you should be not coming here and getting all these answers and all this stuff told to you, you should be watching it again to, you know, sort of discover it for yourself. Like, you know, it is a thing. It's fun to not have all the answers the first go around and to have, Oh shit. I didn't even realize, Mm -hmm. you know, until you've watched it multiple times. Well, probably anybody who listens to this, as we've said before, has already, you know, watched the show and likes it or, uh, shout out to uh, our friend Ed Unitas, who, as far as I know, is the only person who is listening <laughs> to the podcast and has never seen the show. Uh, because Ed is, so a, is a contrarian, uh, and he just apparently likes hearing Luke and I talk. <laughs> and, and can't, his, uh, can't fathom that. You're his ASMR. How sweet. Yeah. No, he. Uh, I don't know why, but he likes it. The yeah, show so is in, so... In this episode, the, uh, the Evangelions uh, have to fight a Lilliputian hitcher. Uh, <laughs> the ASMR portion of the. Uh, uh, I was about it. The show I have is so ASMR, dense. By the way, so no, I Do don't really? make fun of it, but I have it. So yeah. I have the opposite. <laughs> what does that it's mean? It's called misophonia, and uh, I had to look it up. What does that mean? When people are like smacking, and it's not that part doesn't even really bother me. Okay. it's ASMR specific. I don't know hmm. what it is about. My I, sister-in-law I'm, has has this thing. It's a thing where like. It, 
you just have an aversion to a lot of sounds, but mine are specifically when people are like whispering in my <gasps> ear. Oh no! I oh I, I remember this it. about oh, you. So I remember yeah. this. Yeah, I that's remember. So yeah, I can't stand it. It's like I feel it in. If I had a soul, it would be there. <laughs> like it's because it almost feel like it's like kind of the same thing. It's just our reaction to it because it's it is it's within my soul. Like I and I noticed it. We don't need to talk about ASMR. But I would when I would be taken aside oh, well. by like the tutor in second grade and they would like be quietly talking to me. I would you know goosebumps on my skin and like in the, my soul like feel like very. I have such Safe. an intense reaction that it becomes anger. Interesting. <laughs> I don't know why that's a thing. Uh, what I was about to say about the mm -hmm. show is... <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it is so dense. It's kind of incredible how dense it is. Like when yes. they are talking about... Um, like when they're presenting what actually happened in the universe that they're currently in, like in this day and time, they're doing it in... Uh, oh my God. It's on television yeah. while another set of characters yeah. is having a conversation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like it's always in the background. It's always something that you're just supposed to glean along the way, mm -hmm. which I do love because I don't want everything presented to me at face value. It yeah. makes it more interesting and secretive and you can dive in on your own. Great. There's so much though. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. Even just if we're talking about it, like the way nervous set up. Like, you could spend however much you wanted just learning how this place actually works, like we were talking about. Like, yeah, I don't yeah. know the innards of this, but mm -hmm. it sounds like they put just enough into it that there is a system. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's like going back and learning any of Tolkien's languages or something. Sure, like, sure yeah. Just looking in and really diving in and, like, his actually worked. This might work. I have no fucking clue. Yeah. But... I mean, it's like, weirdly because you've mentioned, Luke, you mentioned Children of Men earlier, and I, I you were talking about it in terms of the, the birthday stuff or whatever, but, like... I, I always hold Children of Men up as, in my opinion, like one of the most brilliantly executed like sci-fi worlds in terms of the exposition and the way that like no one ever says anything that they wouldn't say naturally. And right. But it's the scene. You don't, you don't have a character that's being brought into the world and is like, wait, what's going on? I'm from the past. What is this yeah. future all about? Yeah. At no point. And it's like, you, but you get like within the first 10 minutes of that movie, they set up like such a very specific thing through that type of stuff with like screens in the background and people saying things. And the, the best one being the joke that Michael Caine delivers. That was, it was used in the trailer to seem as though it was the expositional line, but it's in fact just him telling a joke. And the thing is like, it's, it's, I, yeah, similar to this. I hadn't really thought about that before, but I. Uh, so there's another one, Alfonso Cuaron. You could direct uh, even Gellion. <laughs> that actually probably be maybe the that's, best. That's that's maybe the best one we've said. Closer for me because it, there's there are you know, there's emotional stuff too. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, it isn't it isn't just body horror and it isn't just like dense or crazy visual stuff. There's it's. There's, you know, Anno is the one, is the only one. Well, can, I mean, and, yeah, the fact it. the fact that he directed Harry Potter 3 and is you know, the best Harry Potter director and that he did Gravity, it's like, yeah. yeah, between those things, I think he could probably... So I think we did it. I think that's I think that's the answer. Alfonso Cuaron, direct... If, <laughs> if, if Hollywood, if you're listening, well, if you're going to do a live-action right. Evangelion, that is the only answer. Ben keeps, ben keeps <laughs> doing this to me. <laughs> I said Just, if. She's doing the hypothetical casting? Is that what's happening but just, here? Just, just bringing up the live action thing because we, we, we got well, a big argument about it on another yeah. episode. I, will, I, I can see that. I There are so many animated things, video games, that I don't want to turn into exactly a live action film because I think that we ruin it, especially when we have to encapsulate it into three hours or less. Oh, totally, right. totally. Um, yeah, yeah. But then we get the benefit of what's happening now with long form television, which mm -hmm. is really cool and interesting mm -hmm. but honestly this one i could see there being something that's like well done mm -hmm. um especially if they got like the art director from blade runner 2049 to come be on this yeah sure <laughs> like, sure it it could work out but i think it would be something that might have to be slightly detached from the series and the people that we know and love I don't know how that would Yeah, yeah. I mean, that. the problem is it's so personal, and I think everybody consumes it so personally that there is no version that's not going to have some aspect of it that just pisses you off. Right. You know, whether that's, you know, casting or design or narrative choices that they make or, you know, whatever. This but, episode in particular is something that I, I thought I was going to hate at first. <laughs> 
I wasn't looking I, forward to it. Well, when when you and I were talking, you said it's a little bit boring, and then I got into it, and uh-huh. I, I like I said, I've watched it two or three times now, and I think I love it a little bit because it's all it's like the worst Star Trek episodes. Like yeah. you go on this sort of boring techno babbly journey, journey, but in the end, you get some sort of morsel that really is impactful to you in a personal way, but also propels the story into a a great place. And while it may be small, these scenes are really incredible and mean a lot eventually, but you don't know what they are just yet. I liked it more than I, than I thought I would or remembered I did. And and we're, we have it on the screen right now. And I just wanted to, cause I clocked it at the time, but there's this, the scene when Ritsuko's working it's sort of like she's like a mechanic, like mm-hmm. asking Misato to like hand her the wrench and stuff. The performance uh, from Misato's voice actress, like she's so, she's like, just tell me about the Magi. And like, she's like, like this really soft and like really warm, intimate moment between the two of them. And it is super nice. And it just r- reminds me how much I love the voice actress for Misato it and what she does. It almost makes you think that they're friends, which is kind of cool. <laughs> Um, also, this is a fun thing. Look at the cool truest thing. friendship in the entire yeah, show. Yeah, I think that they do. And I mean, they're good counters to each other, which is always impressive. And also, this show is something I did not think about maybe back when I watched it the first time, but it passes the Bechdel test with flying colors, which is good pretty point. cool. Wow. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're totally right about that. Yeah. There are, like, it's a predominantly female cast. And these two we see a lot of, but yeah, like the the men who are in it, while they may look like they are uh, the titular characters, aren't really. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's it's kind of cool. Yeah. That's no, that's point. an excellent point. Well, we're about, we're about an hour. Do you want to call it? Yeah, I mean, we're just sort of just race through the plot real quick. Oh yeah, let's <laughs> do it. Sure. That, that, that <laughs> okay, there I'll... is an angel, the eleventh angel. He's he's it has <laughs> compromised the 87th protein wall mm-hmm. and and is it gets into their system sort of and it's evolving super fast so everything they try to do to sort of counteract it or contain it uh it doesn't exactly work we, we get a lot of ritsuko being the best the best hacker mm-hmm. maya really respecting that mm-hmm. um ultimately the plan is to sort of force I just bring it up because it's sort of thematically interesting and relevant as like forcing the evolution of the thing. The, the power of this angel is that it can evolve. So everything that they throw at, oh, it's weakness is oxygen, throw it a bunch of oxygen. Oh, wait, stop. It's Now it's consuming that. Now it's mm-hmm, sort mm-hmm. of evolved beyond that. And, and Ritsuko comes up with this plan and Gendo kind of uh, summarizes it by, okay, we force the evolution and the end point of evolution for anything is death. Mm-hmm. So we're going to make it evolve so much that it eventually just gets to the end and it dies. That is pretty cool. You're right. When you put it that way. Which is interesting and relevant to stuff that's going to happen later. And and so that's pretty cool. The, the pilots don't get to do anything this time around. Nope. They sort of are launched out naked in their little <laughs> entry pods and are just there for the whole episode. Um, Which is more uh, sensory deprivation tank. Uh, yeah, maybe they are first that's... really trapped oh. in the in the pod stuff. But yeah, that it is interesting that how are we gonna fight fight it without an Ava? They put a program into Ritsuko's able to to forestall the corruption because it's going to affect the Magi and self destruct Nerve headquarters. And so she comes up with this plan to sort of use Casper, the one that hasn't been infected yet, mm-hmm. and put sort of like the sabotage program in there. And it's that's the aspect of her as a woman. Right, that mm-hmm. was the one that Lacey mm-hmm. chose is, is Casper, <laughs> and so it is her humanity, it's her womanhood that is the one that sort of saves them all, and in part because she's left in, like you said earlier, Lacey, the sort of irrationality of, you know, human irrationality is sort of a part of it, and that's it's because it's ultimately a race between the angel and Casper to mm-hmm. you know who's gonna who's gonna. So I just yeah wanted to no, that, that, race that, through all the yeah, important no, that, plot that, stuff. That's, that's good. That's good. Uh, and say that my mouse pad is an image of the magi being infected like from this episode oh the like graphic thing of the yeah that's cool shout out to this episode having the best user interfaces of all of the show probably oh it's great (laughs) it's great stuff so yeah that was a lot but we've never had a guest before so i'm fine to run a little long and 
May, uh, may, are you going to come back for the next episode? I'm absolutely. Ca- no, I'm leaving. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> so the next episode is, you know, I, well, I, don't, I won't say too much about it, but I think it's called Sele Throne of Souls. And it'll be episode. Oh, is that how you say it? 14. Well, oh, this is the thing. <laughs> Melee? Sele? I, what did, what did I guess you it's think technically it Seal. Interesting. I think Kevin Phillips says Seal as well. We've talked about uh, yeah. it before. I'd I've be always curious. said Sele, but that's because of him. Right. And I think I said it because Will. It is German for soul, and it's. I think you'd actually in German pronounce that Zela. Okay. So I've been. I should probably try and. I've been. I think on the podcast trying to say Zela yeah. a little bit more. But, but historically, we've always said Zela. I've always so said Zela. Hard habit. To I, I, I will. I welcome Seal as well, though. Um, I might say Seal a few times on accident. Totally understandable. <laughs> totally okay, and we haven't checked. Does it, has anybody now even said it, it out up. loud? Because I want to look in the dub and see what do they say in the dub. Because I guess that's what a lot of fans are probably getting their information from. But does anybody even say it out loud at any point? I, don't know. I, don't I think we need to investigate. Well, they, they do, and I know in the end of Evangelion, I think they start to say it. We'll find out at some point. We'll get there. Okay, so yeah, come back next. Is it episode 14? Yeah, it's 14. Yeah. Oh my god. So we are at the halfway point. Yeah, pretty much. 26 episodes, mm-hmm. and then the movie. All right. So, yeah, I guess. Well, thanks for listening, guys. See you next time. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you, Lacey. Of course. Happy to be here.